celebrated Thanksgiving a few days ago, and I realized I've, in almost 25 years, never actually done a sermon specifically on thankfulness. So as we transition from our study in the Psalms to a short Advent series in December, I want to direct your attention to this chapter of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Why don't we stand as we read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we receive your word this morning, help us to do so with thankfulness. Help us to do so with expectation that it will take root in us and produce the good fruit of your spirits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Apostle Paul exhorts us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ, will of God in Christ Jesus for you, is, is what Paul says. And a natural question would be, what is, what is thankfulness? Maybe we, we take that word for granted a little bit. Thomas Manton, the 17th century Puritan, wrote, Thankfulness is the acknowledgement of favors received by word and work to the praise of the one who gives them. And the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, I want you to, to turn there and be ready to look at it, because we're going to look at it in just a moment. He, he speaks about thankfulness in in a different way than normal. So we're going to look at that. But first I want you to know that the word thankfulness comes from the word in Greek, eucharisto. You may recognize eucharist. The eucharisto is made up of two separate words, which is the prefix eu, or good, and charizo, which is grace. And so thankfulness, as Thomas Manton suggests, is not just this abstract attitude. Sometimes we say, well, I'm just thankful but really is a response. It's a response in word or word to the good, gracious blessings that God has given us. And as a result, God is glorified. He's praised for his favors. John Gill, an 18th century Puritan, added this. Thankfulness, and listen to this. Thankfulness follows contentment. A discontented man is not thankful for anything. But a contented man is thankful for everything. Thankfulness is a branch of godliness. None but a godly man is truly a thankful man. An unthankful saint is a very odd sound, if not a contradiction. And I think that last comment is an interesting observation by John Gill, namely that the words unthankful and saint together make a contradiction. I mentioned 2 Timothy 3. 
And here Paul writes, in the last days there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. You see how that fits in that list that you wouldn't normally expect to be in there, unholy. Wow, to see ungrateful there in the midst of proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful. It's that important. He adds more, Paul does, to this list, but he ends with the comment of verse 4. They have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. So according to Paul, being ungrateful is connected with being a lover of self and as a denial of the power and reality of the Spirit of God. And it's concerning, I think, that one can be appearing on the outside to be godly, be proclaiming to be a Christian, while at the same time be ungrateful, which Paul says is one of the many rotten fruits of an unhealthy, ungodly heart that is denying the reality of God's gracious work. So are you thankful? Or are you struggling with being ungrateful? Perhaps you might answer, well, you know, Thanksgiving was and is one of my favorite holidays, and we all sat around the table this past week and gave thanks for what we've been given this year. And that's not a bad thing at all, and I hope that you were indeed thankful Sadly, our world has a remarkable ability to pervert good things, doesn't it? Every year, for example, as soon as Halloween ends, the shelves... I, Wendy and I were walking in Walmart like the day after, November 1st, and that evening, they had transformed Walmart into Christmas. And you begin to hear the Christmas hymns playing that declare the message of the Incarnation clearly, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And all these people think about that, humming it in their minds without ever thinking the slightest about why the world should rejoice. And they feast and they celebrate year after year without fail. And the same is true with regard to Thanksgiving. In many homes, the world has managed to turn Thanksgiving into a glut fest where everyone looks forward to engorging themselves on food and then engorging themselves on Black Friday deals. And again, I'm not saying that having a holiday of Christmas or Thanksgiving is bad or that it's wrong, but I do want to note that one of the challenges of having a national holiday that's dedicated to Thanksgiving is that we may miss Paul's exhortation here in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in all circumstances. So every day, in other words, should be Thanksgiving. Every day is Thanksgiving. Why should we be thankful? Well, an easy answer to that is, as we see in the passage, God commands us to be thankful. And so the first reason is simply because God said so. And to be thankful is what God expects of those who love him. But a second reason is that our consistent and our continual thanksgiving recognizes that we are always receiving something from God. Not just... Not just a one-time salvific work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and being saved by the work of Christ on the cross, but you are every day receiving something from him. You might even say that we are always debtors to him. 
the continual rising of the sun every morning, the rain that falls on the plants and the trees, the ability to provide for our families, our spouses, our children, our parents, our very breath is a gift of God. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Or as Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It is never coming to an end. It is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A third reason to be thankful is that by remembering and commemorating God's gracious favors towards us, in that process we learn to value and admire what he has given. It's easy, isn't it, to just sail through the day with our heads down in the boat, focused on the earthly things at hand, what I need to accomplish. I need to get up. I need to eat breakfast. I need to get stuff ready in the car. I need to travel to work. I need to do my work. And then it's, you know, it's head down in the boat and then sleep. But that attitude is not being filled with the Spirit. It's being occupied with the things of the flesh, and that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So being filled with the Spirit changes our orientation. It, it lifts our head up in the boat. It, it reminds us that our conversation needs to be flavored with these psalms and hymns. We are overflowing with thanks to the Lord and this edifying speech. And I love that expression, making melody to the Lord. Do you see, with our heart? It's like our, our, very, our very walk through life is a song that our heart is singing. It's the heart of a spirit-filled soul. A fourth reason to be thankful is that our Savior and our model, Jesus Christ, was thankful. He thanked God often, as we see in Matthew 11. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Or John eleven forty one 41, lifts up his eyes, and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Perhaps even more significant in this regard is the fact that Jesus rebukes the nine lepers for not being thankful. In Luke 17, 17, we have recorded that Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? What was the proper response of the nine? He says, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And it may be in thinking about this visible gift of grace by God to cure someone miraculously of leprosy, that we might think, well, if that were me, definitely I would have been the one. I wouldn't have been one of the nine. I would have been thankful. But I think that it, when we think that way, we reveal that we are not then properly valuing what God has done for us. If we think that we would be thankful if we were cured from leprosy, friends, you have been redeemed from death. 
You've been removed from the eternal wrath of God and forgiven the penalty of sin that was against you. And that is infinitely better than being healed of leprosy. As Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You could just, all of these big statements, right? Especially this one by Peter, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Are you thankful for that? Some of God's greatest mercies are so general and yet so great, such as his redemption of us through Christ, that we should remember them every day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Is it any wonder that he would say that the godly person, that the one who truly understands from what he has been saved, which is death and the wrath of God, and to what he has been saved, which is everlasting life, that that person will rejoice always. In other words, there is a disconnect. That's where we get back to John Gill and that contradiction between ungratefulness and saint. There's a disconnect if a saint is not thankful. And we have to be seriously asking, what is wrong with me if I am walking through life in bitterness and unthankfulness? Sometimes, as we'll see in just a little bit, sometimes it's our circumstances that sap us for a while. And we need to be clawing and fighting back for that joy. There are saints that, that go through periods and valleys of dryness. And it is difficult at times. So, you know, please hear me. I'm not saying that any moment like on today, if you weren't grateful today, that there's a serious crisis at hand. But it is to say that the, the natural mode of operation of the believer is that we are grateful for what God has given us. And so a fifth reason is that being thankful is actually a help to our walk in the Spirit. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised." And when we conclude that God has blessed us in Christ, that he died, that we might live, it actually helps us in that process of being grateful to sometimes help us to separate our, our preoccupation with thinking about our circumstances and to remember that we too are not to be living for ourselves. So being thankful helps reorient us in our daily walk to that sacrificial, selfless giving of ourselves to others. Now, when we're not thankful, when we are rather ungrateful and fail to recognize God's gracious blessings, 
we can easily quench the work of the Spirit in our life. We can start to be given to complaint and bitterness and discontentment. And so a good question is, would you describe yourself as a complainer? Are you a glass half-empty type of person? Do you struggle with bitterness? And is it because you have not been thankful? Are you discontent because you have not meditated rightly and and at length upon God's gracious mercies towards you? And that leads me to the next question. For what can or what should we be thankful? Well, we've talked about what thankfulness is and why we should be thankful. And in that discussion, we said that at least one thing for which we should be thankful is salvation. That's, That's clearly the most obvious thing. But I'll give you a few other specific things as they're brought out by the scriptures. First, be thankful for the fact that you exist. We also looked at that briefly, but Acts 17, 28 reminds us that in him we live and move and have our being. Our very breath relies upon the God that we serve. Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. And so then it says in that very next verse, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. That that is the natural expectation. We are his, we belong to him, therefore enter his gates with thanks. We saw Psalm 139, how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, how God has written in his book every one of our days. We saw in Ephesians 1 last week how God has already appointed for us good works for us before the foundation of the world. We are precious to the Lord. He moves heaven and earth to rescue his child. We were reminded that last week as well. Second, you can be thankful that not only that you exist, but that you have a purpose. Here's that Ephesians 1 passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with what? Not just life, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in him. I think sometimes we struggle with thankfulness because we just don't have a view, a long distance view in a, in a macroscopic view of what the reality is around us. In love, he predestined us. What a big word for adoption. Another big word, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Friends, there should be no yawning through a passage like this. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We have obtained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. This is a glorious calling, a glorious purpose that stretches all the way back into eternity, something for which we can't help but be thankful. We are not random people in a random point in history doing random things for random nothingness. 
Third, you can be thankful that if you are God's child, he loves you, he provides you what you need every day. We saw already Jeremiah's words in Lamentations 3, where we read that God's mercies are new every morning, but then there's also John and 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we are called the children of God. And so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That is a reason to be thankful. 2 Corinthians 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, has also put a seal on us, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God is so good to us. He has answered every promise with yes in Jesus Christ. He dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. And unlike those who at one point in time experienced a famine of the word of God, that's what we read kind of in that late period of the Old Testament. We read that in prophets like Amos and others, how there was a famine in the land for the word of God. In knowing him, we are told in Hebrews 1 that long ago, in many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So there was a famine before, but we have the abundance. We have the word who came, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. We have the finality of the scriptures. We have the big picture. We know what God is doing, what he plans to do. And yes, no mind is conceived and no eye has seen the things that God is preparing for us, but we know that that is what he is doing. We know that the Son advocates for us. Fourth, you've been assured of victory, and an inheritance is part of that inheritance that we just read about that the Son was given. Romans 8 says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you know this passage because we look at it often about how nothing can separate us from the love of, of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not death, life, angels, rulers, things present or things to come, powers, height, nor depth, anything else in creation. Nothing. And so Revelation 1.5 gives praise to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us What? A kingdom, priests, to his son, to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And fifth, you've been given the spirit. It's another thing for which to be thankful, who not only works in you to will and to do his good pleasure, but gives you gifts by which to be effective in that kingdom that we just heard about and to edify others. And how can we not be thankful when we hear Paul's words of 1 Corinthians 1, you are not lacking in any gift. You wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end. You are guiltless. You will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For all things are yours. 
So yes, Christian, do not just be focused on the fact that, yes, I'm thankful that I have been saved, but you've been saved according to the purpose of God from eternity past. You've been saved into a kingdom, into an inheritance, into an adoption, into a purpose, a calling, a work. You've been held guiltless. You've been called into fellowship of his son. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world. Now we start getting big. Life, death, present, future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Is there a lot for which to be thankful? Yes. There is so much to be thankful for. And I could continue. God has set his favor upon us. He's made us a peculiar people. He has chosen to use us as his instruments of salvation into the nations. We are called as treasure. He treats us as a beloved child. We are called the bride of Christ. Our Savior not only died for us, he lives for us, he advocates for us, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, communicating our needs for the Father. We stand even now in grace before the throne of God. And so when we look at a passage like 1 Thessalonians 5, and we hear Paul say, we are to give thanks in all things, it just makes sense. It's the natural, simple conclusion. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father, including every trial and affliction which is ultimately used by him for our good. And let's talk about that for a moment because trials and afflictions are the hard things for which to be thankful. And they are often the things that we blame for why we are not thankful in any given moment. Charles Spurgeon once made an interesting comment. He said, I do not know how thankful Job was before his trials. But I do know that those trials brought out the expression of his thankfulness. It is his first recorded praise to God. And then he said, some of us need to lie a little while upon a sickbed in order to make us thankful for having had good health for so long. And we need to be brought low and to have our spirits depressed in order to make us grateful that we have had such cheerful spirits and been blessed with so many comforts. It is not natural or easy for flesh and blood to praise God for what he takes away. Yet this painful experience often wakes up the gratitude of the Christian, and he who forgot to praise the Lord before makes up for it now. Is it possible that as Spurgeon suggests that sometimes God allows us to undergo trials and suffering so that we will appreciate the things that we so easily take for granted? That's part of it. I think there's a part of it there. But even more difficult is it to think that God might intend difficulties for our good. Just the times, that there are times that God keeps from us what we desire or that we think we need. Yes, because they're ultimately not good for us, but there are also these, what are the so-called dark providences. Things that happen that seem to have nothing but senseless randomness to them or that are the result of the, the fallen nature of our world, how can we be thankful for those things? Well, first we have to remember that we don't have the full picture for our lives. 
Job didn't understand what was going on behind his sufferings. Joseph did not realize that God was intending to save Israel through him and that the path to that mercy was a path of suffering for Joseph to give from Egypt into the Pharaoh's court. But second, we have the assurance that God loves us. Would we not say that the Father loved the Son with an infinite love? Well, Jesus told his disciples, and by extension, all of us, he said this in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So abide in my love. And he had said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, what father among you, if the son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what Jesus is wanting to communicate is, by analogy, we know that God as a father loves, that we as earthly fathers love our children, as earthly mothers love our children. Will not God in a perfect love love his children? He does not allow you to suffer without a reason or a purpose or ultimately a plan that he will receive the glory. But even if you don't understand that, Giving for thank, giving thanks to God, even in the midst of dark providences, reveals our faith. Quoting Spurgeon again, it is an act of holy prudence in the saints when they are under any trouble to strain themselves. Strain themselves, because that sometimes is exactly what we're describing. In those dark providences, it is a strain of ourselves to a quite contrary duty against what temptation would drive us to, he says. Temptation is to make us murmur and complain over God's dealings, and we should, on the contrary, bless and give thanks. And therefore, the psalmist so frequently sings praises even in the saddest of conditions, even when he feels like he's being dragged down the shale, even when everyone is against him, right? We saw that over and over again in the Psalms. There are Psalms of lament. The psalmist cries out to God and says, why me? Why my situation? Yet will I praise you. As Job says, Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? That's a hard one. The end of the quote, Spurgeon says, Shall we receive so many proofs of the love of God and yet quarrel at the afflictions that come from the same hand and rebel against his providence? As we receive good things cheerfully and contentedly, so must we receive evil things submissively and patiently. It's a challenge. And John Gill, whom I quoted earlier, said, we should not be thankful in prosperity only when we are to be joyful, cheerful, and thankful. Otherwise, we shall only sacrifice to our own net and burn incense to our own idols. Instead, we should be thankful in adversity also as Job blessed God 
or was thankful when he was stripped of everything. And the people of God have reason to be thankful under afflictions when the Lord puts underneath his everlasting arms and supports them under them when he strengthens them on a bed of languishing and makes their bed in their sickness, when he chooses them in the furnace of affliction and knows their souls in adversity, when he manifests his love and favor, when he is with them, passing through the fire and the water, so that the one shall not kindle upon them, nor the one overflow them. In short, we should be thankful in adversity because he makes all things work together for our good here and hereafter, he writes. Well, you may be sitting there this morning and you're willing. You're even wanting to be thankful. But you find yourself emotionally dry. The mind is willing, you say, but the heart is weak. And the soul is just sorrowful. What do you do? How do you become thankful, more thankful, especially in difficult times. Well, here are some possible ideas for you. First, remember in the definition of thankfulness that the Bible points us to the fact that thankfulness is a response to God for the favors he has given us. Because it's not an abstract attitude, it's also not a product of our emotions, thankfulness. But rather it's a response that consists of words and works. And even if our emotions are lagging, still we can praise God for what he has done. You may, for example, consider thanking each person of the triune God. Give thanks to the Father for blessing you. His saint with all spiritual blessings through his son Jesus Christ. For having a purpose for you as we read. It's what we read in that's what we read in Ephesians 1.3 and in a similar passage in 1 Peter 1.3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Repeat those words to God in prayer. Sometimes when your emotions are lagging, if you repeat those words in a, a, a desire uh, a willingness to be thankful, it helps. Give thanks to the Son, as Paul does in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful and appointed me to His service. Thank Him that you're able to approach the Father through Him, as we read in Hebrews 13.15. Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Give thanks to the Spirit who bears witness, as Paul says in Romans 8.16, with our spirit, that we are the sons and daughters of God. Thank him for his gifts and the many benefits that he gives us for stirring in us a desire to serve God and sealing us for the day of redemption. You might write those things down because when our emotions are lagging and we are sorrowful and we are tempted to be ungrateful or to be bitter, it's hard to remember those things. And so write them down for yourself. 
Two, consider ways that you can daily remind yourself of God's favors and blessings. Maybe it is part of writing, but maybe it's also a daily practice. I know for me it helps that every time I am struck by the beauty of what God has made, if I step out on a beautifully blue sky, white puffy cloud day, or I see the almond blossoms on the trees, or, you know, some of those types of things, struck by the beauty of God's creation to, to, to just out loud thank the Lord. Maybe those are little tiny practices that you begin to put in your life. Maybe as part of your family devotions, you know, after... You have a time of of studying of God's word. Maybe it's a part of your daily habit and practice to give thanks to one another and to the Lord. There are many other ideas, but the point is that it does take some effort sometimes, right, to to make these habits. Keep a journal of the times that God has blessed you in the past. The Bible is one large journal of how God has blessed his people, but what about a personal journal of how God has blessed you? In your own experiences, what would you write down? Would you recollect the things that led to your salvation? Would you remember specific events or people? Four, make sure you are regularly reading God's word and spending time in prayer. If the Bible truly is a journal of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, then we should be reading about that regularly. Five, make sure that you're serving others. I know that probably sounds odd to come in the midst of all of those things, but sometimes there's nothing better that sets our minds and our hearts straight than serving others. Sacrificing ourselves for others increases humility. It decreases self-centeredness. It magnifies our joy and contentment. It gets us out of those dark corners. Sometimes we get in that rut and and the worst thing that we could do is just exist, but going out and serving others. If you don't have any of that happening in your life, if you found that the reading of God's word has decreased, your prayers decreased, you're not serving other people, you have been facing some afflictions, it, it may be that you are in a bad cycle and you need to break out. Last, giving thanks is a community effort. Not only do we need to speak to our own hearts and remind ourselves of why we should be thankful, what we should be thankful about, but we need to remind each other. You need to encourage your children daily to be thankful. We as elders need to encourage you through the sermons and other teachings of the church to be thankful. You as the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, need to remind one another in your conversations about the fellowship meal. And especially when you see one another struggling through things. Encouraging them through the Spirit about the good mercies of God. It may be that you came in this morning from an exhausting Thanksgiving week. Why does our level of stress and weariness rise dramatically over the holiday period? 
Well, sometimes it's because the festivals and the holidays expose idolatries. But it isn't just our disappointments that expose our hearts. Even our happiness and satisfaction can expose our hearts. Yes, the Thanksgiving when you burn the turkey and end up throwing the plate. Yeah, that may show that your trust is placed in the wrong things. But it could also be the best Thanksgiving ever. When everything put on the table is perfect and that reveals an idolatrous heart because you realize that was what it took to satisfy me. Perfect food and you know everything going perfectly in that sense. And yet, what is the heart of my thankfulness? So friends, our hearts can be condemned by what we rejoice in as much as what we worry about. And so I exhort you this morning to a great thankfulness for God. Not simply that life has gone well for you this year, if it has. And not simply that this year has been the worst year ever, if it has. But because death has been transformed to life in Christ. And we have so much for which to be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, I do give you great thanks for what you've given us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I am mindful this morning that there are many individuals and even families here that have had a very difficult year. And Lord, it is difficult sometimes, especially around the holidays, Ironically, to be thankful because they recall events and and struggles and challenges. And so I I am mindful of that. And so I just lift us all up before you, Lord. I pray that you would comfort. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that you would... Help us to look at what it is that you've done for us, how you've blessed us. Move us through your spirit, even when the emotions are lagging, to be thankful, even when the sorrow is high and the bones are dry, as the psalmists sometimes say in their laments, Lord, that we, yet though you slay us, yet we will praise you. Help us to have that kind of faith and desire to fight for that gratefulness. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Well, Steve's given us a number of things we could try to do to... um, in a response of thankfulness, one thing that you didn't mention is actually one thing that is actually being done right now 